Welcome to Loud. I'm your host, Natalia Vargas, your favorite person, friend, whatever. And today, I have a very special episode to discuss one of my favorite topics, which is mental health. I will not be doing it alone because I, you know, decided to bring a friend over all the way from Los Angeles, California. I brought my dear friend, Francis Mariano. Welcome to the house studio. Hello. I'm watching these two cats fight and it's pretty gnarly. <laughs> it's okay. It's a cat lady. They're cheering us on. No, They're our audience. Yeah. It's a nice entertainment while we're recording. So Francis and I know each other from a long, long time yes. ago. He knows from my like fresh from Peru days. <laughs> <laughs> Literally like straight out from Peru. Freshly migrated. Yeah. <laughs> Learning English. It was a sixth grade. We yeah. Met each other's sixth grade. So middle school, high school. And then college. Went to college together too. And we're still friends. Yes, definitely. So Francis. What makes you qualified to be on the podcast? Basically, what gives you the right, bitch? Tell us. Tell us about all the work that you do. I don't say I'm qualified, but this is definitely something that I'm very passionate about. So I work at Headspace, which is a mindfulness company. It creates a wonderful app with guided meditations and stuff like that. But I should state right now that everything I say here is my own personal opinion and should not reflect the company in any way. Right, and then don't worry, if anything happens, we got an attorney roommate over here, so you'll be fine. (laughs) So, we're going to discuss mental health. I want to discuss what it means to have mental health, the climate around it, access, and kind of what steps we can take to improve ours on a daily basis. So, it's time for me to drill you with questions. First of all, I have a very important question. I know that the Headspace logo is not a perfect circle, and I thought that was very poetic. Can you elaborate on this? Because I'm very curious. There's actually a story behind this. Mm, yeah. The details might be a little off, but when Headspace started out, they were an events company. The co-founders would hold these day-long events and have brochures to give out to people. And when they would cut out the logo by hand, they would use scissors and use that circle that they would cut out as mm-hmm. the logo and that just sort of stuck. Oh, so this is not like on purpose. I thought it was something about the circle of life being different. It's just about them being a little ratchet at the beginning and not. No, it's just, <laughs> it's just, there's properly. no poetry at all. It's just a circle. All right, but you know, I'll take it like that. I'm still going to pretend that it's all about like life being imperfect and the circle of life. That's the way I took it. I thought that's what you're I mean, say. you see what kind of meaning you want to see, right? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's start with a very simple question. So what started your journey towards mental health? Is there anything that made you realize that you weren't like 100% there? Anything that triggered your passion for this topic? I guess you can say that this journey started around middle school when I started reading and learning about Buddhism. So Natalia and I went to Catholic school. I went to Catholic school for 13 years. And I felt like there was so much more to discover, so much more about different religions that I could Mm -hmm. learn about. And this sort of education, self-education with Buddhism continued throughout high school and college. So it's really quite interesting, like an interesting coincidence that I ended up at Headspace, that this mindfulness education is just continuing. But just to clarify, are you Buddhist or no? I wouldn't say I'm Buddhist, but definitely my personal philosophy borrows a lot from Buddhist teachings. Okay, very interesting. I think for me, what really got me into mental health was I think before I used to see mental health as something that I needed to work on when something was wrong. And because that's kind of how I work in my family, I'm sure that's sort of kind of how it works in your family because we have a similar upbringing. But I think that it wasn't until I started to lose a little bit of my essence, especially when I was in college, that I kind of realized like, okay, 
mental health is not something that I have to work on when I need to fix something. Something It's just something that I always need to work on. Right. It's like exercising or yeah. taking care of your, your body, right? Yeah. And for me, it was more uh, in college. It was a point where I was suffering from like anxiety and panic attacks and all that fun stuff, you know, good things. <laughs> And I kind of had a realization where I was like, wow, it shouldn't just be when I'm at this point that I'm working on my mental health. It has to be, I have to equip myself with the tools to be able to handle a tougher situation and continue to work on it. It's like mm-hmm. kind of like what you're saying about working out. Like, I'm not only going to work out if I'm, you know, a little thick. Like, right, <laughs> I got to yeah. work out all the time because it's good for me. It's like the difference between taking a Tylenol versus a vitamin, mm-hmm. right? A vitamin is for long-term benefits while... An aspirin is for something more immediate. It's like preventative versus, I guess, treatment. Right. I think it's just kind of like working out any muscle. You can always get stronger. You can always move up in weight, so to speak. Okay, so what do you think about mental health illness and a stigma today? So I actually started with a poll on the Instagrams, you know, the social medias, which everybody should follow me on. So I asked, mental illness is a lot more common than you think. What's on the stigma? Do you suffer or know someone that suffers from mental illness? The answer was 88% yes and 12% no, which is kind of what I expected essentially because, yeah, I think that now we're definitely moving towards being more open about the conversation and us realizing when we do have mental illness and when we need to work on ourselves. So to repeat your question, what do you think about mental health and illness and its stigma today? I think the dialogue is definitely changing and it may be because I'm in this environment where these types of conversations are more openly had. I'm from Los Angeles, coastal liberal city, but it does seem like younger generations are the ones who are advocating ending the stigma and are more aware of mental health in general. Uh, At work, if I'm not feeling well, I simply say, or I'll let my manager know. No questions asked, yeah. (laughs) So jealous. And sometimes when I come back, my team or my manager, you know, check up on me, make sure I'm feeling fine. And I do have that privilege, at least in the workplace, but at home, it's not really the same. Yeah. I remember one Thanksgiving relatively recently, I wasn't feeling well, and my parents wanted me to go with them to visit their friends, and they just wouldn't let me stay home alone and just listen to music in the dark. Don't do someone else as a family, please. Can you come? Exactly. Yeah. No, mom, I can't. You, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, they just, it just doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, so you don't always have the privilege. You can, you, while you have it at work, because obviously you work for Headspace, you experience that feeling in different situations. So personally, I think that there's still stigma because we're not able to just say that we need a mental health day, or at least, you know, not all of us work for a company that's so sweet. <laughs> so for example, I think that we're less embarrassed to say, oh, I'm sick. I have the cold, the flu, diarrhea, coronavirus. And <laughs> 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 saying like, oh, like, I'm depressed and anxious. Like usually a boss will be like, mm, really? Do you? Are you actually? Um, you know, we're so hesitant to ask for a mental health day because I think that we see it as a sign of weakness. And there's also the idea of, you know, sucking it up and getting over it. And what I think is the main point from this is that when you stigmatize something, and like an illness, you're going to deprive it of its resources. And we do live in a fast-paced world, and I think that we're not realizing that these conversations are important. However, I think that we still struggle to accept uh, mental illness as an illness, because you don't see 
symptoms you know like the way that you see for example if i'm I, oh i have a fever like i have the or chills you're coughing, i'm coughing or sneezing i'm contagious i mean obviously some people can say that you know bad energy is contagious which you know yeah <laughs> different conversation but you know you don't actually see a symptom you're gonna be like oh i literally cannot get out of bed because i have this degree fever right you know however when you do experience mental illness that is how you feel it's you just do. hard to portray it yeah definitely you can't get out of bed some days yeah no, i'm pretty course. sure people have been in that place before yeah no of course and that's why it is i still think it's stigmatized and there's still work to be done but at least we're but at least we're entering a place of awareness and some might say even mindfulness which we'll get into <laughs> so along those lines what are some of the cultural societal barriers that can make it difficult for people to access the right resources for mental health mm-hmm. I know in a lot of minority communities, based on anecdotes I've heard from friends and from stuff I've read online, the dialogue around mental health is just starting, especially around, like I said, the younger generations. And for Filipino Catholics, mental illness tends to be brushed off. And the answer is usually just (laughs) to pray to God to ease your worries away. Uh, and then the same way, like growing up, obviously Catholic as well, it's just like you're, you're experiencing sadness, you're experiencing these feelings. Pray to God. You haven't prayed to God enough. Like, that'll take care of it. And it's like, mm, you can't be solving all your problems. <laughs> right. And there are definitely some similarities between meditation and prayer. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to meditation, that's not the only part of the solution. Right? Right. Not to bash on prayer. No, of course not. <laughs> Don't come at We're, us Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of like, think about um, the wealthiest people in the world. The people that are the wealthiest oftentimes have income coming from different places and just they don't just have your nine to five or anything it's the same thing with mental health you gotta have you know different sources of income you gotta diversify your assets <laughs> yes oh my god yeah, it's all me. about that personal finance <laughs> <laughs> this, this will talk for a different time okay so let's get on to the second part of the question which is societal barriers so with re- regards to societal barriers being mentally healthy or at least having access to resources that allow us to be mentally healthy. Mm-hmm. They're definitely, it definitely feels like a privilege that some people just don't have. Right. Most mindfulness apps, especially the ones that have been proven to be effective, cost money. Mm. Having a therapist costs money. Right. And it's not just money. Exercising, which is also good for your mental health, can require time. And for people with multiple kids, working extra jobs, possibly even single, they simply might not have the time. And I say this so that we are mindful of what it takes to be mentally healthy yeah. and how it really is a privilege that we should learn to appreciate. Yeah. And I agree about the money thing, but I also believe that sometimes people don't prioritize their mental health. So I'm going to give you an example. Like if I go out, you know, let's say once a month, twice a month, and in the total of me going out, I have spent, I have bought seven beers. Maybe I'll have just one less beer that month and then I can invest in having you know, a nice app or taking like, you know, a nice yoga class. So sometimes we just, we use money as a mental block when it's actually not a factor. We're just telling ourselves that it's a factor. To go off of that, one of the barriers I think to having it as a priority is decreasing that stigma towards mental health and being mentally healthy. Otherwise, people won't realize it is a priority in the first place to have. That's true. And then we were talking about this earlier when we were eating how if you don't voice that you need something, for example, like let's say that you are in dire need, some, you're going through something and you let me know, I can tell you like, okay, you can't afford therapy. There are free support groups here and there. Like you're going to resort to other things. The way that we do, we solve any problem. It's kind of like 
there are multiple freeways, multiple passes to the same destination. Right. There are things that are free. For example, like today, uh, France and I, we went to like a cheap, like $5, like karma yoga class. And like, that's, that's very doable. That's not too bad. You know, it's not like your class is like $30 at, you know, different studios. So I think that the moment that we start talking about a little more, we're going to learn how to advocate for one another too, a little bit better. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a community aspect to mental health, having people to hold you accountable, to like check in on you, having people to support you. And with, when we're talking about this kind of support, when people receive the diagnosis, I guess, of like a mental disorder, you know, we can become afraid of that label. Like, how do you think we should think about those labels and can we use those labels to empower us so that the diagnosis doesn't feel like an extra stressor? What do you think about that? I think when you are diagnosed with a mental disorder, you kind of get attached to that label. Yeah. You feel like it's a... I wouldn't say death sentence, that's a little extreme, but it is like a sentence, something that you attach yourself to. And I think part of being diagnosed is learning not to attach yourself to that label. But at the same time, so um, I think sometimes a label can help you get through it and it gives you like a sense of community. So for example, I was officially diagnosed with ADHD uh, in college. Oh, surprise. <laughs> and everybody, I was just like, oh my God, guys, like, turns out I have ADHD. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> <We> know. <laughs> but it's funny because even though I had that label, rather than have it be a bad thing, I, I learned to be more self-aware of things that were going on around me. So for example, with studying in college, I would obviously get distracted all the time. And I'd be like, okay, well, that's actually like my ADD, like go back into focus. Or when I would hyper-focus on things, which is one of the symptoms that we hyper-focus or we let go of things really quickly because we get bored, I was I learned to be self-aware. Like, okay, you are letting go of this thing because you're letting your mind, like, or you're letting your ADHD t- get the best of you. So I was able to be self-aware and notice and catch myself in moments of ADHD. And also at the same time, while ADHD has its negative effects, it also can be awesome in that it supposedly, like, we're supposed to be more creative. And then because our mind is a little bit scattered we have a lot more ideas and and that's also a benefit of knowing that I have ADHD is knowing that, okay, while there is these drawbacks to it, it's also empowering to know all the awesome things that come along with that. I think we have, we didn't write a question about this, but I think that's an interesting segue into romanticizing mental illness. That's definitely something that people worry about, especially uh, when it comes to depression and creativity, people feel like they're more, they're more, creative when they're depressed interesting yeah or when people uh or when people have bipolar disorder and when they're manic they feel like that's when they have the most energy and the most drive the most creativity to create and people tend to romanticize that idea of the depressed artist the Mm -hmm. or like the idea that you have to struggle to get a positive outcome right and having part of that struggle people tend to focus on the, the, press, the depression that people go through and how mm-hmm. that leads to creativity. That's true. I've never thought about it that way, but you're so right. That's definitely something that we, oh my God, that happens. And then we also like, I feel like even now, like we love the sob story too mm-hmm. and how you overcame it. Right. Whereas sometimes like for mental illness too, is that it's not about overcoming it. You have to sometimes live with it. Exactly. Like I will have ADHD for the rest of my life. There's no cure. I can't just, there's like medication, but it's not going to cure me. Right. So that's very fascinating. Oh, you're so smart, Francis. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and along those lines of that, like, do you think that too many people are using the terms like, you know, and I do hear this a lot more often, like anxious, depressed, like how can we change those conversations? 
maybe part of the conversation has to do with educating people more on mental illness so mm-hmm. that they know what it means to be anxious, to have an anxiety disorder, what it means to be depressed and have major depressive disorder. The difference between psychotics and psychopathic, those are very two different things, but people tend to conflate as one term. Mm. Yeah, really, it's just about educating people more and making sure they know what it means, what these words mean. The English, I mean, the English. (laughs) (laughs) The English? (laughs) I mean, English is a very colorful language. And if we want people to change those conversations, we should start using different words. Mm-hmm. We can say we're sad, but if we're really sad, we have other words in the English language that we could use. I could say, I'm despondent, I'm dejected, I'm mournful. And language evolves, we change our vocabulary mm-hmm. in different contexts. And the framework is there to describe the differences of human emotions. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I also didn't know what those words meant, so thank you for that. Thank you for the education. Let's grab a dictionary. <laughs> Don't be calling me out like this, okay? (laughs) Um, I personally think that we do use mental illness as a way to name what we feel under certain circumstances. But, however, that doesn't always mean that you have the disease. So you're right about changing the conversation and changing the words that we use because that's not always the case. And also, once again, we have to be careful. And, like, if I'm saying, like, oh, my God, I'm so anxious, guys. And then meanwhile, my homegirl next door to me, like, she just had a panic attack. It's like, it's not the same. It's not Definitely equivalent. Not. And it's not a competition, like, who's suffering more. It's just more about being mindful of what you use certain words or what scenario. Otherwise, you are also misinforming other people. You know, if I'm saying, like, oh, my God, I guess I'm so depressed and it's, I don't actually have depression, then I'm, what is that, like, making something that's worse? What? That's, um... Like, making light? Yeah, so I'm making, yeah, you're right. So I'm making something light out of something that's not... Me, I want to move on to the meat of the episode, which is why I brought you here. Otherwise, you know, you might as well just go back to Los Angeles. What is mindfulness? So I kind of want to start because I did a lot of Googles <clears throat> just for you, Francis, because I wanted to impress you. <laughs> Look at this beautiful Filipino man across from me. Okay, so mindfulness is a practice that was basically an obscure Buddhist concept that was founded like more than 2,000 years ago. And it's obviously becoming more mainstream, you know, but just like me be doing it now. <laughs> and basically the term mindfulness refers to a psychological state of awareness. So what does that mean, Natalia? Uh, getting your mind to be fully present in regards to kind of what's happening, what we're doing, and kind of like the space that we're moving through. The way that I see it is that the mind is kind of a locker for negative thoughts and negative energy. And sometimes that can make a spiral. So mindfulness is a kind of about strengthening the muscles in your brain so that we can catch our attention and bring us back to center so that we're not falling into loops that are not necessary. Right. I think the mind definitely has a default tendency to just focus on very negative things. Oh, 100%. We get caught up in this loop, these stories that we create in our heads. And mindfulness is all about taking a step back, realizing we're getting stuck in those loops and just stopping it before it just spirals out of control. So can you kind of give me an example of a mindfulness exercise that can be easy, something that you can do day to day? Well, the obvious example is sitting down meditation, which the Zen Buddhist calls Zazen. Ooh, yeah. hello with the fancy words again. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because in Western society, when you think about meditation and mindfulness, that's usually the picture of what people have in their yeah, head. Yeah, that's what I thought at first. It was like, I need incense and a whole setup. Right. But if you look into the Eastern side, Zen Buddhists don't really practice Zazen as much. 
it's more of a formal thing that monks do. Mm-hmm. For the more layperson, they incorporate that mindful state into other parts of their daily life. Mm-hmm. For example, eating. So when you're sitting down to meditate, you focus on your breath, which is something you do every day. And when it comes to eating, another thing that you do every day. And when it comes to eating, you sit down, have that time with the food with yourself and not be on your phone, no technology, no one else with you. And you just think about and focus on where this food came from, how it got to your plate. Mm. And when you start eating, how it feels in your mouth, how it feels going down. I know it sounds kind of (laughs) weird, but you focus on a very human part of our lives is nourishing ourselves. And we tend to brush that very important part of it aside. Like it's a very important part of our lives. And we take it for granted, the fact that, especially now, today, when we have such easy access to food compared to when we actually had to hunt and gather. And it's interesting you said it because it's something that's so simple. You know, you're just eating, which I know y'all got to do that every day. So Mm -hmm. don't be telling me you can't do mindfulness. (laughs) Y'all got to go to lunch. By California law, at least. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) 30 minutes every four. Yeah. Yeah. It is advertisement time, people. And what's another example of that? And you can incorporate mindfulness in so many daily aspects of our lives, like cleaning, washing the dishes. Oh, I love to clean. Yes. I'm so mindful. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe even just walking, which is another thing we Mm -hmm. do every day. Right. movement. Movement, yes. You could... When you're walking, instead of being on your phone, on the phone, listening to music, just walk and feel your legs moving, feel your feet touch the ground or your the soles of your feet. Like, and just think of like where your mind is going, where it tends to wander. There's definitely a connection between your legs and your nervous system. Right. Like a very strong connection. And I think that we forget that because you said it's a very basic thing, walking, which we do every day, eating, we do that every day. Mindfulness, it's a form, I guess, of meditation, so to speak, but it's more about really being aware of what's going on in your body, and that actually focuses your attention in the best way, if that makes sense. And I think a good way to generalize mindfulness is just being aware. Yeah. Right? Which means, uh, what technically the meaning, a state of awareness. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I totally, and I like that you said that because I remember as of late, my friend is in nursing school right now, obviously very busy time in her life. And I even told her, I was like, even if you can't work out and do the whole thing, like, go take a walk around the block. Those are things that you can do every day that can actually improve your life long term. So since we're talking about, you know, trying to focus our attention and doing things like cleaning, movement, eating, we do live in a world that's full of stimulation, right? So it is very difficult to be present. How do you think social media and technology affects our mental health? Do you think the answer is then to ignore it? There's definitely research showing correlational relationships between social media and mental illness. And from my own personal experience, I do notice when I'm in the less elevated mood, my social media usage tends to go up. That screen time. Yeah. Batting you out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Are you depressed? (laughs) Basically calling me out. Yeah. And I know businesses target user engagement when determining how well a product is doing. And more engagement means more money. So product managers and designers will work to drive that engagement up, performing experiments and tests on their consumers. 
And I think there's definitely some responsibility on the consumer to be more aware of their usage of social media and technology. Yeah. But there's something to be said about the ethics of companies in creating these technologies and products that they know are addictive. Yeah. And we were talking about earlier too, like how Facebook, how their engagement went up when they had the like button. Exactly. And then I'm assuming even more so when you had like a reaction, which, you know, which changes the whole game. Mm-hmm. I can react to being sad. I can give you hearts. And there's a lot more stimulation for your, like you're waiting for more validation, right. so to speak. You know how when you like pull to refresh something? Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a slot machine. Oh my God, you're so right. You're right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you pull that lever and you're hoping for like, content that you like that will give you that dopamine rush oh my god you're so right it's, yeah there's some reward mechanism going on when we use yeah, well, social media the addiction of like gambling that's mm-hmm. what it is like the one time that you win the one time that you got whatever the jackpot it's yeah. gonna keep you from like coming back for more so mm-hmm. to speak because i mean that's a lot of ways that we see social media like there are times where i make a post and like i want to get Oh, have I passed 50 likes? Have I passed 100? Have I passed right. 200? And you scroll and, and you scroll like, down. And, I, and, I, and, I, and it's so funny because I, I will literally look up my phone when I got three more likes. Like, what does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> what is that doing to your life, Natalia? <laughs> no. Hey, bitch. <laughs> no, and, I, and with social media affecting us in such a negative way, and it's like, as we do with mindfulness, it's not about ignoring what's going on. Like, obviously, we have to acknowledge. You can't run away from it. We all have to have phones. We all have to have these things. But it's more like to embrace it and know how it makes you feel and sort of let it pass. And I think that with this, what's important to know is that it's not necessarily what we see with our technology. It's the places that our minds go with that information. Let's say, okay, I got this many likes or I got this in my technology. Am I, okay, I looked at it. It's The moment's over. Am I still thinking about this like when my phone has been put away? I think to be able to accept and let go is kind of like the true definition of being like having freedom of the mind. And I kind of want to talk about knowledge versus wisdom. I mean, personally, mindfulness is knowledge. So like it's like direct experience. You see the facts, you have the information. Wisdom is the ability to have the power and judgment to know what knowledge or what facts are actually true. How much of our negative or uncomfortable space is actually true and how much of it is just our heads. And I want to get into a TED Talk. Francis, do you like TED Talks? Of course. You have to. <laughs> so I obviously, like I always prepare because, you know, I wouldn't play you guys with fake ass information. <laughs> Not that I have a podcast. Not that I have a podcast. No, no. So there's this one with Dr. David Vago. Vago. I have no idea how to. Vago. Re- Vago. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sorry, Dr. David. <laughs> um, he talks about how mindfulness is the ability to feel but not react. So the reactions, for example, like anxiety, anger, fear, these are all very negative emotions, right? And these are reactions. And having these feelings has a direct correlation to seeing more disease, like cardiovascular disease or even like cellular aging, like at a DNA level. He does study with women with fibromyalgia. Oh my God, I said it right. I was so nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a chronic pain disorder. Women with mindfulness training in this study saw a lot of improvement in their chronic pain. And they were also wanting to look into what is mindfulness do on the subconscious level. These women were shown pain-related words like tenderness, aching, sore, pounding, which are feelings that they experience every day and it triggers them. It makes them like you know feel really upset. And these words on the screen were shown at 100 milliseconds, which basically gives you very little time to process, and at also 500 milliseconds, which gives you 
a little bit of time to see the war and be like, oh, what is happening, you know? So what they saw is that the women that had the training, they were able to, they were able to actually observe the words, not feel a lot of fear. They were able to approach them and let them go and move on. Whereas the untrained group actually avoided the words. They would look down or like they actually were stressed still or they would completely like miss the word at the 100 millisecond, which is super interesting because it shows that the benefits of mindfulness, even in a subconscious level, because they were not told they were going to be given this task. It was just like surprise, like what's going on in the screen. So I think with mindfulness, I think the whole takeaway from this is that mindfulness on a subconscious level is going to help us control our reactions, which is awesome. (laughs) And along the lines of benefits of mindfulness, you know, according to some Googles that I did, (laughs) you have things like, as we talked earlier, you know, it helps you prevent and treat depression and anxiety. It helps with having less rumination. So like loops and like worrying about things that don't really matter for no reason or just don't really exist right or don't exist which <laughs> queen of that over here <laughs> uh it'll improve your cognition so your ability to like retain information and it will also help the brain to reduce distractions which as your girl with adhd right here is beautiful <laughs> okay so to move on to the next section i had a poll on the instagrams once again and i got a lot of responses which obviously you know a lot of validation. Love, love, love the like button. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked how many people practice meditation and yoga to deal with mental health. And I basically the answers were like, yes, I practice or no, but I'm curious. And the answers were 66% yes and 34% no, but I'm curious. So people were, which I, was really, I was surprised because I thought that less people would practice meditation and more people were like going to be like, curious about it so i thought it was really interesting we got a very woke group of listeners you, yes <laughs> so francis what are some misconceptions about meditation how can we incorporate it like in our day-to-day lives i think one thing that people misunderstand about meditation that it just has to be about sitting down and clearing your thoughts like not think of anything like blink right yeah part of meditation is letting those thoughts come and go and being aware of them and not getting attached to them and learning how to do that in your day-to-day. And another thing that people think about meditation is that it takes forever to start seeing benefits. So how long does it take for you to see benefits? There has been research that shows that it can take as little as two weeks for you to start seeing. Oh, so seeing. there's actually a time. Yes, exactly. I, I actually also believe that it takes a while to like get benefits. Mm-hmm. Ooh. But I mean, personally, like, uh, Francis gave me a free year of Headspace, <laughs> and I've been uh, doing meditations before going to bed, and oh my god, I knock out right away, which is incredible. Right. Because usually I need like melatonin or something like that, so yeah. that was like really awesome. That was a very immediate thing for me. Mm-hmm. I think once you start seeing those effects, you really want to do it a lot more. It's kind of like when you... A reward wor- system, baby. Yes. It's <laughs> like when you work out and you start seeing benefits, so you just want to keep doing it, and feel those benefits more and more. Exactly. Yeah, meditation is really about just being aware of where you are, what's going on, how you're feeling, and not getting attached to whatever is happening and not reacting straight away, you know? Mm-hmm. You, like, you got to learn how to step back and not react immediately. And since you were for uh, Headspace, hashtag not sponsored, can you tell me a little bit about how this app works just give me like the spark notes version well people if they are interested which you know hashtag no ads but whatever <laughs> it's been helping me so we're gonna put it out there 
Um, how can we use this type of technology? Obviously, there's has been also multiple meditation apps you can use. So how can we use this kind of technology to our benefit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can put that in. <laughs> okay, okay. You were saying. So Headspace has the basics of meditation. Mm-hmm. And you can use that when you're first starting. And once you feel like you want to move on, there are different um, courses or meditations for different yeah, aspects of your life like managing anxiety, appreciation, kindness. And there's a bunch of content to help you get better sleep. You know, mm-hmm. having enough sleep, getting good quality sleep is part of living a healthy life and living a mindful life. And I know you, Natalia, have been doing yoga a lot more recently. Oh, well, yes, I have. Yes, you have. Yeah, <laughs> it took me to a yoga class today. It was That's great. Right. <laughs> uh, well, so what are some benefits you've seen um, from pa- practicing yoga? And Aside how it... from me looking like a snack. basically um another one of the reasons why i got into yoga is because i was told that it would help me with my mental health and you know help all the crazy um but basically what yoga does is moves you from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic which means like you're going from fight or flight to like the rest and digest so you it forces you the pose is forcing you to like chill out basically which is great for me because my mind works at a thousand miles per minute. I don't know if you've noticed, Francis. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Known you since sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. So, and another thing that's great about it, beyond that, because that's the part that's calming for me, because it allows me to reset. And I guess it is my form of meditation. I take that moment to like really listen to my body and feel what's happening. I think you get to know yourself and have a little bit more of like a non-judgmental relationship with your body. What I've noticed with like yoga people and yoga studios is that people don't care about how they look. Some girls be in sports bras, some girls are not. It's a lot more about how you feel in your body and being, dare I say, mindful (laughs) of your body movement. And I think what's unique about it is that compared to high intensity workouts, for example, yoga, you can truly adjust and move at your own pace. And I really do mean that. Like that's why they have yoga blocks and there's different, um, versions of the same pose that can still give you the same benefits so this avoids the shame shame like compared to when you go to like a crossfit class when it's like you can't do a push-up well that's it (laughs) then you can't (laughs) do shame any crossfitters out there (laughs) right no which is fine you can do crossfit all you want it's just more like it is i think for everyone there's so many different levels um and that's the part that's awesome and i think too what's been beautiful with yoga is that as i get better I think it's truly a representation of where my head is at, and that's how I feel. So, for example, if I can do a little hop instead of a little crow pose, for example, or something like that, even if I can do a little bit better tomorrow, it feels good because I'm like, oh, my God, like, my body is getting better. And, like, that, to me, is a reflection of how my mind is feeling. Like, oh, like, even though it's not perfect, like, we are getting better. And I think that's a beautiful, you know, I like the poetry and shit. So <laughs> that's, I think that's one thing that it does boost my mood because of that. And I just needed to say about... The happy, the happy, what is it, child? No. Happy baby. I have to say, yeah, I have to talk about happy baby. If you guys are ever sad, look up happy baby yoga and just do it. It's just so cute. I feel it's so happy. so nice, yes. I can always smile every time I do Having it. Having your feet up in the air, just yeah. rolling around. Happy baby, truly. You all should try it. <laughs> and I wanted to share one story about one girl, and I asked her about her journey with yoga. So in her story, she said that she started yoga and meditation Um, A little bit in college, but then she didn't really get into it until after graduation. And she talks about how her mental health was not great in college. And it kind of got worse as life, you know, kept progressing. And she said that she needed something to ground her. So, you know, between work, friends, and how quickly life changes, 
it kind of helped her to center and be present in the now. So we're talking kind of today in like the podcast episode. So basically for her, it was the understanding that whatever she was going through, you know, it's over. It's gone. Or it hasn't even happened yet. Like this anxiety that you can feel about like life. And I'm going to quote her. She says, yoga and meditation moves energy through your body and mind. And I always feel so much better afterwards. Getting started, I honestly didn't have much money for former classes. So I started with apps, videos, and researching out my yogi friends, you know, who usually are so excited to help. And then she said, Honest, uh, honestly, yoga and meditation was the best way for me to get a grip on my own health and happiness. And you can do it anytime, anywhere. Which I really liked because I kind of felt the same way when I started getting into like mental health stuff is that it did center me and it ground me. And it also made me think, oh my God, why didn't I try this sooner? And that's why I would encourage everyone to try it at least once, even if it's your own different version of it. Like for me, the way that I do yoga, it's also my meditation. So I do two in one and that's the way that I take it. But everyone is different. And I think it's beautiful to see what your body can do. So um, at least for me, it's definitely like a combination of like body and mind. And that's the most um, enlightening part. I like what you said about how you can do meditation anywhere because it's really true like when you're commuting you don't have to have your eyes closed but just focus on your breath focus on your thoughts listen to it or when you're on the bus during a break when you're at home you can really just do it anywhere yeah and i think when it comes down to it is doing these things help you get uncloudy so to speak and i think though you don't have the the awareness the mindfulness or even like the proper like mental health state it really does cloud you from being your most like authentic self. I know for me, like when I was like in a weird place and I wasn't the best mentally, it didn't allow me to tap into parts of my brain and my personality that, you know, they were always there, I'm sure, but it was just kind of hidden by all the things that were going, by all the noise, so to speak. Right. So I think, yeah, yeah, I think doing these things that we talked about in this episode and obviously many, many more, you know, we can't cover everything. Mm -hmm. It does help you become the best you you can be. And that's super cliche, but... Sometimes you don't even know what you is out there until you clear that head. Right. There's to like... clear that head space. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Cheesy. Cheesy. Yeah, I think every action that we do kind of is a representation of ourself. Yeah. Right? And sometimes we don't pay attention to what we do. Yeah. And sometimes it's not a reflection of ourselves. And when we take a step back to reflect on those actions we can see where that sort of dissonance between what we do and who we are yeah is and i can bring this back to for example let's say that i'm i'm obviously a very happy person but there are moments where i'm really quiet or i'm very or i i snap on someone for example Mm -hmm. that's not really me i would never and then the only reason why i got to that place is because i wasn't my mental health wasn't there Sometimes our actions represent what's going on in our heads and vice versa. Right. And Francis, this has been so awesome and delightful. Yeah, it's been and great. I'm going to have to bring you back again because you are the best in the West. And I already know people are going to be falling in love with this sexy <laughs> microphone voice. Ladies and gents, actually, gents? <laughs> actually, <laughs> just, <wait>. just gents. <laughs> I know people are going to be falling in love with your voice. And I got to say, guys, his DMs are open. <laughs> so please slide in. <laughs> <laughs> advertising for francis <laughs> so my last question to ask everyone if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice what would it be take care of yourself find some balance you can have fun mm-hmm. learn how to have the right kind of fun <laughs> i think that's the best advice i can give myself yeah 
maybe have not that much fun. <laughs> I mean, you can have as much fun as you want. Just be mindful of what kind of fun you're having. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, Francis, thank you so much for being here. This has been super awesome. It's been great. I had such a wonderful day. Yeah, and we're about to hit the town. Yes. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Once again, his DMs are open. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope to see you guys next. Any wrapping thoughts for you? No, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> okay, bye, guys. I hope you guys have a good week. And as always, do what empowers you, do what makes you happy, and farewell. Bye. Bye.